What do you think is in Halbrand's pouch? The knuckle bones of the guy whose hand he had to cut off to serve Morgoth. Oh, yeah? Hey everybody, welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave and the review of Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 5. My name is Bina007 and I will be your host today and I am joined by Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, also known as iWendiel on the Discord. Hi, Mary. Hi everyone, it's Mary, Namira on the Discord and other VOK places. And by Vali. And in real life. <laughs> Great. So let's get straight into it. I'll go around again. And if you can tell me how much you did or didn't like the episode and also whether it improved or deteriorated from previous episodes in the series as we hit the halfway mark. So, oh, yes. And just to warn anyone listening, we could spoil anything in Tolkien's published works and potentially also the Peter Jackson movies. So over to you, Alex. I like this episode better than last week's. I'd give it maybe a three and a half. I thought it picked up the pace a little bit, but the writing is still kind of simple and predictable. But I guess we'll get into that more later. Ooh, okay. So only three and a half. Uh, OBD to you, Mary? Mm, do you know how much we gave last week? Because I kind of don't remember. Maybe three I and a feel half we were. I feel we were all in the two and a halves to threes. It was really low yeah, last week. I'm usually... I usually don't go under lower than three, like it already, it's my low point because <laughs> um, I don't like to be too much of a critic. Maybe a four this time, it's definitely better. It's still not, not the most <laughs> satisfying thing with the dialogues and, and I love that, but, but four, yeah. Well, I'm excited because I think we're going to get some debate. Over to you, Matt. Uh, yeah, I think I'll give it a four as well. Um, the writing is still kind of clunky, and there's a couple of uh, major plot points that I'm just confused by, Mithril being, saving the elves being one of them. But the epic going to war m- music was awesome. Uh, Eminem Sauron was awesome, and maybe Gandalf still. I don't, I don't understand what's going on there. But yeah, I like it much more than last week's. So I think I'm the most positive. I also liked it far more than last week. I would probably be at four and a half. But I really, really loved this episode. I felt the full epicness of going to war. There was lots of Elendil, which obviously makes me super happy. And yes, I also was scratching my head that if Mithril could suddenly just give elves forever life in Middle-earth, why Elrond, etc. weren't just taking it in Lord of the Rings too. I mean, that just all seemed hokey, but glad to get the Hobbits back. And I just, I, I think this is my favourite episode so far of the series. So um, I just cannot wait to see what happens next week now. So there you go, bit of a range. Let us get into, should we do it by location again? That maybe makes makes it the most easy. So let's start with the proto-hobbits who continue their nomadic journey, singing what I found to be quite a moving song slash hymn about wandering. Obviously in quite dire straits, the guy who may or may not be Gandalf helps to rescue someone in just his hand and kind of regenerates it by going into a mystic trance with some water 
nearly uh, does Nori in because he just doesn't realize she's there. And I, I think that's the first time she probably realizes his true power. And finally, we get to see some very evil looking people looking at the crater where he crashed. Curious to see what all of your you lawmasters think those people might be. So how did you all like the Proto-Hobbit story? I liked seeing the Hobbits again. I like that we're kind of getting a, a little journey through Middle Earth through their point of view and seeing all these beautiful locations. That's always a pleasure to see. And I like the, the story with uh, presumably Gandalf and Nori and um, the parallel between the scene where she's listing all these potential dangers and then when she realizes that he's probably just as dangerous if not more than all the big folk and wolves and stuff that they encounter and uh yeah these mysterious people i'm i'm just as baffled as you uh, okay as so this isn't something that might be. <laughs> okay and i was just gonna say the silmarillion doesn't reveal this but then again gandalf isn't here at this point in the silmarillion i guess yeah <laughs> if it no. is indeed gandalf if it's if it's Palando or some blue wizard again, who knows? But one assumes they're agents of Sauron, right? They're they're not they're not good peeps. Um, so anyone else on this section? Yeah, the the weird people at the end were just very. I mean, it's weird because they were like in white and kind of you, you expect expect them to be kind of okay because just if they're <laughs> clothed in white, it it might <laughs> must be that then. They're good, but no, the vibe was terribly wrong. Um, so I have no clue either. Uh, but yes, it was very good to have this whole journey and the song, and um, it, it is it is a good part of the show, I think. And that's one thing that uh, we missed missed dearly last week, I think. Yeah, the hobbits come with music, and the music mm-hmm. tends to be very good. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Hobbit song reminded me of the Outlander theme. I thought we were going to see Jamie Fraser pop up somewhere there. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I it's part of the... Yeah, you're right. It's the same uh, theme. <laughs> it is. Okay, good. Um, and then I was looking at the map and I was trying to figure out where they were. And I think they're in Mordor. And what they were saying about migrating from place to place and uh, they go to the orchard. That gave me like uh, the... The thing with the ants and the ant wives, the ant wives loved orchards and fruit bearing trees and stuff like that. And then they went uh, into the east and then war came and then the ants couldn't find them again. So I don't know if we're going to see something like that, but I was getting those kind of vibes from it. And then, yeah, the weird uh, guys in white, I was getting like, you know, those uh, weirdos that hang around Palpatine. Like I was getting that kind of vibe from them. They had like, uh, you know, higher than normal collars and half hoods and stuff like that. always in red in the throne room in Star Wars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I see that. What is the end game for them? I mean, we've got five episodes left. I mean, do you think we see them resettled? Um, I guess, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see how this particular part, Gandalf presumably at some point reveals himself, finds his purpose. I don't know. Um, hmm. But it all seems very straightforward. I think you guys are right. This is quite a, not a simplistic series, but it is it is more childlike than well, for sure, House of the Dragons and then even the new Star Wars show that's out. This is much more simplistic. Anything else on this or over to the Southlands? Presumably the action in the Southlands isn't that far from where the Hobbits are if they're in proto-Mordor, right? Because I think the whole point is that these guys were former followers of uh, Morgoth and also kind of in the vague area. 
So the story here is that Bronwyn is trying to rally the people in the town um, not to bend the knee to um, someone who may or may not be Sauron, but definitely is Adar, Uncle Benjen. Can't believe. <laughs> Excellent makeup there. Um, and then one of the townspeople are saying that the only choice is to bend the knee. So he leads them all off at night uh, by torchlight, which is quite moving, to go and and bend the knee. And he presumes Adar is Sauron, but Sauron sort of is very, am- not Sauron, Adar is very ambiguous and sort of just like punches him back and says that um, simply bending the knee is not enough. He has to commit a blood sacrifice of the poor young torchbearer who happens to be at the front of the line. So we're already seeing just how evil and how um, petrifying this whole sacrifice thing is. Um, anything else going on in that part of the world that I didn't mention I should have done plot-wise? They had that weird scene about the sun and how Adar seems to miss the sun, but isn't injured by it compared to his orc that for some reason he tortures he's he's clearly an elf right i mean he, and he is 20 and years and everything. yeah he's an elf gone wrong yeah. he's an elf he's fallen so he's a fallen elf mm, yeah with weird... Bina, how pissed are you oh, sorry, sorry buddy i was gonna ask i was gonna ask bina how pissed you were that you didn't put that water feature in when you redid your back garden <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. Just, I mean, just it's hiding just... behind a little, little bit of ivy, you know, like no, no one remembered it. Yeah, exactly. It's just legendary. I mean, I, I, I saw the stakes. I think it's good that they have ramped up the stakes in this show in general because the way it was cut, then you see, you see the kind of the reason why it matters that this army is coming from Numenor to help these people out. Um, I love every time they cut up to showing a looming shot of any tower. Like, towers are always going to stand for over in Tolkien. But otherwise, fairly straightforward. We didn't get any more sort of information about the meaning of the sun and what the sun means, right? And his connection to blood magic. I think he's not of any interest by himself. He just happened to find that dagger key thing. And I think the fact that he shows it to uh, his mom and Aranda is is proof of that, that he's just like, what is what is this weird thing? And he doesn't immediately want to be with the bad guys and with the guy whose name I don't remember who leads the the group to, to go and bend the knee. I think he's just, he's just her kid, but I agree. It's kind of weird that we still don't know who his father is, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's playing on that, like, not everything is born bad or good, but like, mm-hmm. there's decisions to be made along the way. And this kid's hand seems to be stacked towards like bad, but maybe he'll choose to be good instead. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that makes sense. I, right. I also agree. I don't think his maybe his parent is just significant, but I don't think it is. I think he's just an example of how just men in this world can be corrupted. And maybe that's also the story of um, Adar as well. Back to Numenor, um, where we see, I see, maybe I was naive, but I just thought at the end of the last episode, they made the big decision to go, and they were going to go. But no, there's a whole episode where they decide if they really it's are going to go. whole episode! <laughs> <laughs> it is so long. Ugh. I mean, there's least, also some training. More, more stuff was <laughs> happening in this episode than last one. Yeah, but it was still like, for reals? Like, literally, the final shot should have been the first shot. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so mean, meanwhile, in Numenor, um, we have the son of Farazon trying to sabotage the three ships that are sailing off. He is saved by Isildur, 
who is stowing away because he can't, his dad won't let him actually be part of the party because he hasn't fulfilled his training. His dad being just awesome and Ellen Dion so dreamy. Um, what else happens? You have Galadriel trying to convince Halbrand to step into his destiny as a king and to lead his people. And you also get a bit of the backstory of why he's so reluctant to rule. He thinks he has committed some sort of sin, presumably in supporting Morgoth, that is beyond redemption, and that they will not be happy to see him. Queen Muriel, Queen Regent Muriel, seems to be on the fence about whether to commit troops to go or not. Off screen, we see that Halbrand obviously says that he does want to go. That's a little bit of suspense and that therefore, by the end of the episode, we are sailing forth and we see uh, lots of guys in very cool helmets, including a Lendil and one with little bits Everyone of Everyone looks so good in that last scene. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> uh, we have Gladriel, who has some very kick-ass armor. Unclear where from, but um, it really is a, a totally heroic moment. And I was incredibly happy to see it. White Raven, can you speak? I can. I'm so sorry. Can you hear me? That's okay. Welcome. Um, Brett, do you want to give your lemon cake rating out of five for this uh, episode? Give it four and a half. I actually love this episode. It was great. Me too. Me too. We already already did the pre-Hobbitses and the Southlands. Anything you want to say about those? What's going on with I the Hobbitses? love the Wandering Day song. I yeah. <laughs> play it to my children when I'm putting them to sleep. <laughs> Who do you think the weird, weird people are who were standing over the crater looking at uh, where, um... The one that looked like they like to hurt puppies? Um, I guess bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Generic bad guys. And I mean, obviously you... it could be Sauron in his beautiful form. Oh, God, I didn't even think it could be Sauron. I just assumed it was minions. But yeah, shit, you're right. Do you think it's Gandalf, the stranger? I still do. Even I mean, they can do whatever they want. So yeah, it, it makes some sense. And I like it that, so far. Like if it is Gandalf, I like how he has to like learn to be good and to control himself mm. because he would be very powerful. So he has to almost learn to not use his power because they can be very devastating to those around him. Yeah, absolutely. And then over to the story in the Southlands, any thoughts, comments, particular moments and moods there? Um, I I think it, it's fine. I don't know what to think about it. It's just like the half the men took what they consider to be the easy way out, which isn't necessarily wrong, I guess, from the outside looking in. Like if you were if you were one of them, I don't know which side you'd be on. Like it's you're you're facing either certain death or perhaps a chance at life. So mm. I don't know. I, I guess I can't blame them for going bad, but yeah, props to those think, that stayed good. <laughs> I think yeah. the the show is 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 actually is is uh, I mean things like you do because they're they're clearly making it uh, look like it's it's an okay decision and we are meant to wonder what we would do uh, in their place. The message of Lord of the Rings, which was a very compassionate and empathetic one, is that we would all go bad under enough pressure if enough mm -hmm. people we loved were at risk and that some people just hold out for longer. But even Frodo went and it's... Uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy for them. I don't think any of them did it without knowing. I mean, they're, they're, they're not sort of like going, rah, rah, Morgoth, yeah, baddies are good, are they? Well, that one seems to be like, yeah, let's go down yeah, there. One guy. This well before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One of yeah. them was clearly a crypto Morgoth supporter the whole time. <laughs> Does anybody have any theories on the Dark Elf? I have a thought, but is it, I think it's too far out there for it to be possible. Just because it's... Do you think Do you think it's ahead. like Maglor or Maglor or whatever? Uh, Maglin? The, so, Aeol's like this dark elf prince and his son, he like betrays 
Gondolin and kind of it, against his will, but he betrays Gondolin and is a big part of their fall. Yeah, and he well, was like, yeah, he, st- he steals Tur- he steals Turgon's wife, uh, sister, and takes her to wife, and they create Meglin, and Meglin kind of uh, betrays a secret passage way to Morgan Gondolin. He's also thrown from like the highest tower. Well, this dude is injured. Like he's not in great shape. Like you can see scars on the side of his face, and his arm is all covered up. So one of Feanor's sons, there are a set of twins, and they're the youngest ones, and the final ones to die in the quest for the Silmarils. One of them goes oh, like right. into the ocean. Yeah, one of them uh, chases a Silmaril into the ocean, and I'm kind of thinking Andar looks like he spent some time in the water. He was all pruny. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I was thinking pale. more burns, but I guess it could be. Yeah, I feel he looks like burn victim. But also, like, the fact that he's almost offended that they'd call him Sauron, because Mm. if he would be, like, either one of those elves, they would be, they wouldn't like Sauron, because they'd almost be under Morgoth more than Sauron, so they'd be offended that they were called one of his other lieutenants, kind of. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, yeah, he's just my peer, I don't worship him, I'm not, yeah. Or they're not even necessarily Sauron evil in that way, but they just, they've been corrupted in some way. Mm. No, I think that's really, I think that's a good theory, actually. I hope so, because it's at least um, rooted in law rather than them just making up some new character like Arunda. But there'd be hard, there'd be a lot of backstory to it if they wanted to tell it, and I don't know if it, how quickly they could get through that. Like, it'd almost have to be him telling the story to someone. Mm. Exposition heavy. And I almost feel like they already had that chance when they had the elves captive and he just let him go true 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 okay well anyway we'll 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 wait and see i mean i think visually he's probably the most arresting character so far and certainly intriguing i think Um, i think he yeah he has some kind of burns uh on his face or hands or it's it's unclear but that's also that was also um a clue that it might be a Megler who actually has his hand uh, burned by the Silmarils because it, it turned bad. And um, I mean, she says reading from the wiki, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, so, we have yeah, to get information somewhere. <laughs> I, I agreed. I read the same thing from his reaction uh, to being called um, Sauron. He's almost offended that you would even put him in the same level. Yeah, yeah. he literally like pushes the guy back or throws him back with his magics. Yeah. Do we think the guy killed the kid? Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> for sure. He's a quizling, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Cool. Anything more on the Southlands, or should we go back to Numenor and the passage to battle? So the very final shot, I think, of looking up at the tower from like down below the mountain, I think that's meant to be the tower of uh, Kirith Ungol. Where we see really? uh, Frodo after he gets stabbed really? by Shalab. Cool. I think so. That it just feels like a yeah. smaller tower to something that would be in that kind of Mordorian space, but maybe. Well, well, it? everything the Baradur was built by the elves or or Numenorians to keep watch on the land. So yeah, that's my it? theory. Kirith Ungol, uh, Gondor watchtower. Yeah, I think it changed names. Okay. Like, I don't think it was Kirith yeah, at the time. It had a different name when they put the watchtower right. there to watch him. But yeah. s- since the timeline is so weird in this, it's hard to say what's anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which yeah. I don't mind. I think they're doing a good job of telling the story. It was a little slow getting started, but now it feels like it's rolling pretty well. 
Mm, I agree. Yeah. I'm still drawing my knowledge from the wiki. Um, they have a map with um, where the locations in rings in the rings of power uh, are in our more more modern uh, Lord of the Rings map, and uh, they placed the tower Osteris uh, kind of on the other side of Mordor, so it wouldn't be the ancient Kirithangal. But what do they know if we don't know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying I don't know where that information comes from? <laughs> yeah, and this is all still pre uh, fall of Numenor, so the map uh, hasn't shifted yet, right? Mm, I guess. <laughs> I mean, w- regardless of uh, whether it is or not, like proto Kirithangal, uh, it's it's still. I think the vibe is 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 there, and that's what we're meant to see. Uh, also, because yeah. we've all watched a lot of the rings, so we we are all gonna be like, "Ooh, this looks like this tower or this place," and that 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 works well to tie the whole thing together. They do seem to be modeling things after the other set of movies, which mm-hmm. I, I like it because it has like <laughs> has some continuity, even though they're separate from one another. But I appreciate the fact that they're trying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because they were visually stunning. And so it's lovely to feel in that world. Um, but it's also commercially sensible because, you know, the, the vast, you know, the audience they're targeting are the people who were, who were in love with those original three movies. So um, right. it's kind of wise. You can see that a lot with the costumes as well, like a lot of the military costumes and the way that Galadriel and her military costume looks. I think the only real breakaway is giving the elves the kind of 80s lacquered bouffant hair rather than the long, flowy kind of... Um, well, I think yeah, elf locks. trying to explain like the elves being lesser by this whole, like, everything's being corrupted and dimming. And then when they finally defeat Sauron for the first time and they start using their rings, they probably get some of that, like, shine to them back. I think that's where they're going with this, but I'm not positive. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Is that a nice segue? Um, not, let's not go to Numenor. Let's, let's, at that point, go to what's happening in Khazad-dûm. I think it's another wonderful way in which this episode's all about making moral choices, which is why I love it, because I think this is exactly what Tolkien's all about, you know, how it's, there is definitely a right and wrong thing to do, but it's really complicated um, picking the right thing. So here we find that um, Elrond is brought into the, the circle of truth about why he was sent, um, which is to get the mithril apparently because it saves elves from having to leave Middle-earth and losing their precious bodily fluids or some such. Do you think that's just a crock of shit he's been told to justify why he has to shaft his friend? Or do you think that literally is what they're going to go for in the writing? Because if so, that just seems very weird to me. It's the one part that seems like kind of a stretch to me, where they're just like, oh, no, we'll we'll need this ore. We knew it was there. Like, oh, did you? <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Why would they even let the dwarves have this mountain if they knew it was there? Yeah, and I, I guess it, it, they're kind of like retconning why there's a Balrog there, because there's a Balrog on top of the mountain at one point. But, like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, wouldn't Legolas be stabbing Throdo in, like, the back of the head for his mithril shirt? Like, yeah. if, it, if it gave elves all their power, it just doesn't make sense. But I think by that point, they have their rings of power, so they have... Because, like, Galadriel and Elrond, their realms are... They, they keep back, like, Mirkwood isn't, like, uh, affecting their lands. 
because they have the power to keep that at bay. But they don't have that yet. So this corruption that is going through is infest, infesting their lands as well. And this, because but they don't like, have the power to hold it back. But I refuse to believe that this is any worse than when Morgoth was like. <laughs> so, I, I mean, they must they have been have really the dim back then. I don't think they have the power anymore because most of the ones that went to Valinor and came back aren't around anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm, I get it. Like, I, I don't know if it makes sense to me. It's, I'm doing a lot of leaps for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when they destroy the One Ring, then, and all their other rings lose power, wouldn't they want Mithril again? But they they go west. They don't yeah, stay. because the bad guys are dead, so they don't have anything to do in Middle Earth anymore. Like, they don't have any more corruption to stop. But I do agree that the Mith- Mithril thing is kind of far-fetched, and I don't really get why the solution to their decline would be a material thing. Right. Like, yeah. I think Celebrimbor at one point says we need all of the Mithril to have even a chance for all the elves to live, and that just seems... Right, are they going to boil it down and take shots of it? I don't understand what they're going <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of... I don't know. It kind of seems like a, a bit too capitalist for elves. I did like yeah, that he convinced them to give him the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was so funny. funny. <laughs> I still like Durin. He's I, I... like the best part of this show. I know. I could watch a whole show on Elrond and Durin just like hanging out and telling stories. But you know it's going to go bad. That's what makes me anxious with their scenes. Like there there seems to be genuine care there, but something is going to happen to make Durin hate him. And we can already well, see he's gonna it. Well, you steal all the Mithril, right? I don't know about steal yeah. it, but convince him to use it and it's going to go bad because elves and, and dwarves are not and, in good terms. Yeah, and yeah. isn't the whole the whole point of Celebrimbor's new project to like build the forge that will eventually lead them to forge the rings and well, give the, the dwarves elves are going to get powers. rings too. Yeah, but like they do their own thing, right? They're corrupted, so I don't know okay. how it all works. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I I'm, I'm kind of frustrated with like I thought this show was going to be about uh, getting to when everyone gets a ring, but we're not seeing that yet. <laughs> it's not progressing fast enough. <laughs> we have we have multiple seasons, right? Like five of them. Yeah, already... yeah. yeah. It's just, I think it's... this season might end with them meeting Sauron in his beautiful form, and maybe season two will be them making the rings. Yeah. Yeah. How many episodes do we have left? Does anybody know? I think it's eight episodes total. And oh, so just, just, just three. Yeah. Three? Now it can't be three. Mm-hmm. They had two right away. This was episode five, right? I think it was fifth one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's three left after this one. Oh, three left, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I do think Durin took it pretty well, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think his father's going to take it so well. I, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, he didn't <laughs> say that to you, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I just don't i i i don't understand the mithril thing and it's and i think it's gonna end up in a bad place and i think it's just because the writers get really lazy at points the, the, you know the, the the visual with the elf giving the tree life for whatever reason was like cool but like it they don't that's not how it works man <laughs> I mean, I, we don't know how magic works in Tolkien's world. He never really went into it. But No, but yeah, this definitely seems like a very cheap explanation and a very uncharacteristic um, 
And why did this tree matter so much to either one of them? <laughs> and and why and why the I mean and yeah the fact that the myth oil is a solution to everything and it, it's giving them that power it, it's it's really weird. But I'm willing. But to I give mean, them the they also get that power from. Yeah, sorry, go. No, I was just saying I'm, I'm willing to give them the leeway to see where it goes, and then afterwards they'll be like, "Well, that was stupid." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of like the Hobbit. I gave him leeway, and I should not have. But <laughs> here we are again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they get a lot of powers from just a ring, so I get, I guess it, they could get their power and their life blood from Mithril. Why not? I don't. Yeah, except really... it's not, it's not confirmed in any of of the Tolkien lore that we know of. Which I'm not upset about. Like I don't care if they want to do their own little things as long as they don't like have great impact on the larger scale. Yeah. Which if they just want to give a reason why these rings will be so powerful, all right, fine, I'll accept it. Because otherwise, it doesn't even make sense why they could make rings that all of a sudden are really powerful. Like where does the power come from? It comes from the uh, light of the trees. That's why. Cool. Isn't that what that guy put into the tree root while the Balrog was whipping it with fire? Well, it was supposed to be a tree that had a Silmaril in it. Or at the which, base no, of the mountain. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which is already uh, suspicious. But um, Well, one of them fell down a chasm, so I guess it could be. Yeah, but <laughs> the magic of the Silmarils also comes from the light of the trees. So basically all the magic in Middle-earth comes from the light of the Valar. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it would be like double <laughs> diluted in Mithril. But it's all we got. <laughs> Take a trip to Valinor, stay a few years, come back. Recharge. <laughs> Recharge. Exactly. I think the point is like they don't want to come back from Valinor anymore. Yeah, no, I know. Once you get there, you're like, ah, oh, that was... Middle Earth is shit. Stay here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like they could be setting it up as something different, as like the elves know that they have to defeat Sauron or something right off the bat because they know their time is ending. Because that's kind of the biggest theme in Lord of the Rings. Like the whole build up for Gandalf is the time of elves and, you know, Astari are ending. The time of Middle Earth keeping their own shit together is like starting. So, not really. I don't know. I just feel like they could have gone a more direct way. Like, I understand they have to make this conflict between elves and dwarves, but they could have just did, like, the same thing as, like, they did with the Nogulier, which is in the Silmarillion, and just that the dwarves made it, gave it to the elves, and then the dwarves killed elves to take it back. <laughs> they're giving them a MacGuffin to fix all their problems, and they're right. giving the problems a time limit because, oh, the forest is being corrupted and it's spreading, so we need to do this now, because otherwise elves would not would not get out of bed for this. So <laughs> that that is their reasoning behind making things move forward. Otherwise, elves would just sit there and wait. Yeah. matters not. I, I like uh, that Elendil does come to Durin's defense and, and kind of voices that urgency because they're like, you know, dwarves, it may seem like hastiness to elves, but not to dwarves that live the years that they live in between our decisions. Right. It's like 20 years to us is nothing, but to them it their whole family grew up right should we move on to Numenor maybe sure sure okay um so yeah Numenor right when you came in um Brett we were saying how frustrating it is that they were meant to go uh, and they took a whole episode more 
uh, before actually leaving for Middle Earth, which I didn't mind that much because we got some nice training scenes and I guess we needed uh, needed a bit more politics on the island first. I do think, because um, Numenorians are longer lived than regular humans, so they would take longer to make decisions. So it doesn't bother um, me yeah. that they're taking their time about it, because what's their rush? Other than Galadriel being like, no, he's out there. Galadriel needs to moves. leave yesterday. <laughs> does, it, does it bother anyone else that when they're talking in this show, they're talking completely normal, but when they say a name... They like pronounce it very specific, like Galadriel. Galadriel. And it's like everything else we're saying normal, Numenor. It's like, what, why we just say it? It's like Hispanic newscasters or something that speak in without an accent until they have to, you know, sign off out of their name. And it's like they put some extra stank on it. Sildur. <laughs> Sildur. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, where were we? <laughs> oh, Galadriel <laughs> wanting to leave yesterday. Yeah, and Halbrand not wanting to leave at all. Yeah, until she he seems does. less impatient in this episode, which is weird considering like she's getting delayed a whole. But she can see the motion. Maybe episode, that's all she needs. But, yeah, and and she's getting an army instead of just uh, getting escorted by herself. Yeah, well, so, an I army guess... with two hundred less men than it was originally. <laughs> Yes, uh, well, yeah. But she also, I think it makes sense that they they have to prepare and they cannot just go, okay, well, let's go, uh, five ships. Well, they had to have uh, a parade. <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and how about the, um, Ellen Dill and uh, Isildur just leaving her without telling her? I, I guess that's what happened there? The sister? The, the sister, yeah. Or daughter, but she was just like, oh, wait, uh, you're leaving? Like, <laughs> yeah. what happened? I mean, yeah. And what's I mean, up her, with her like plotting uh, to stop this? Like, yeah, this is going way too fast. Like she went from "Ooh, I'm not sure this is a good idea" to "This has to stop. You have to convince your your father." Um, and we don't really get like we could. I'd want a conversation between her and Elendil or something like that because it just feels like yeah. Right. She's like, "You need to talk sense. to your father." And he's like, "Well, how about you talk to your father?" <laughs> <laughs> like she's never talked to him. Maybe he didn't take her meeting. Yeah. I just want to know where Narion is. Why do we have this this new character? Who? So Isildur's brother Narion. Ah, he's off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's actually like <laughs> ruling one of the kingdoms of Middle Earth down the road. But instead, we're getting this woman and her relationship with maybe Alfar's own son, maybe not. Like well, maybe Elendil just has to make him brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> we all already discuss the guy who bested Galadriel in the kind of whoever can touch my flesh becomes lieutenant is that is called Valandil but that's not Valandil who becomes king of Arnor right just using the same name um, uh, um, no because that is Isildur's son so he could just name him after him because they are best friends uh, yeah yeah there's a couple of Ecthelions a couple of Denethors so, so they reuse names down the line can you believe that? So stupid. We would never do that. <laughs> clearly. Mary has really clearly been invented in, <laughs> at the end of the, in the 20th century when I was born, right? <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about that, Matt? <laughs> what do you think is in Halbrand's pouch? The knuckle bones of the guy whose hand he had to cut off to serve Morgoth. Oh, yeah? <laughs> If I could just get that half a sword back I left. 
I mean, I'm not okay. I know we've we've like written off uh, Halbrand from the start. Like it's he's gonna be a bad guy. I, I I'm I'm not entirely sure, and I I cannot help but like hope that he's not gonna be. And the reason for that is that he has a distinctive Aragon vibe and looks, which is why and, he needs to go bad. Yeah, probably, but it, it wouldn't make sense that they make him look like Aragon and then he goes bad all the other way around. Both would work, but I, I've i decided to let myself be uh, surprised by the show and and still believe that he can choose good. Well, that's good, because this guy doesn't exist. <laughs> so <laughs> they can do whatever they want with him. <laughs> it does look like in this episode he chooses to redeem himself by joining Galadriel in yeah, the right. expedition. Yeah. I think he will he be some good, but something will make him choose a different path. Like, I just hope it is something that I can get on board with. Like, I can see why he'd do that. Not like, well, that was dumb. Because he doesn't seem like he wants power. He just seems like he wants peace. Yeah, he wants to be left alone. So just do you do think he'll thing. capitulate to Sauron like those other bad guys did, just to, in the name of peace? I don't know, because would it really be more peaceful for him to be uh, in servitude to Sauron? Or is it worth the effort to try to defeat him to then be left alone? Well, if I just saw the display that the one elf I ever met did in a battle, I wouldn't want to fight them. <laughs> oh, I think I would choose the fight. <laughs> that fight choreography yeah. was fantastic. That yeah. was. Yeah. And he didn't score any flesh. He just cut her dress. I like their basis of promotion is that, though. Not like actual strategic prowess or anything like that. It's just... <laughs> you barely got her. Good job. You're now in charge. Or lieutenant, whatever. And also, you barely got her with the help of about five other people. It wasn't like you bested her in single combat. So, well done. <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't put her hair up before she started fighting. That seems like a silly choice, but... Wow, Dude, she should have been, like, taking off her earrings. If you want to talk silly choices, I mean, why does Elendil's helmet have two little bits on either side? That just, that I just told you that it's ceremonial. I don't think they'll wear that. designed to be caught on other people's armor in combat or just get you into scrapes that you can't get out of. But, you know, kudos for helmetage. Well, like he won't be in the front line if he's their general. Do you think it was a deliberate uh, call out to four Frodo when they did the sort of four Middle Earth bit? If that felt like a deliberate echo, but a little bit unearned. When, when Aragorn at the end of Lord of the Rings says four Frodo, it's just so epic because we've been on such a journey. It, it's so heartrending. I felt this was not similar. Yeah, because nothing's happened yet. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got on a boat for Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> I Who's Frodo, man? Got a latte for Frodo. I mean, you could just think of so many daily occurrences that you could make epic by going for whatever. It just, yeah, silly. Interesting. Her father told her not to go, and it looks like she yeah. still is going anyway. Mm. Yeah, and what yeah. like what do we think is influencing her father's warning? Like, is he getting whispers from someone else <laughs> or visions? Yeah, the Numenorians could like some of them could. Kind of get visions, I think. Maybe he's been looking in the Palantir. Well, his name is Tar Palantir. I think he, that had something to do with him seeing. That's why they named him that. All right. Well, I have to go, everyone. But I enjoyed this. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right, Brett. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, lovely to, to you the family. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for making time. Um, have have a good weekend.
Thanks. Bye. Bye. Cool. So what else do you want to talk about? Let's talk about bread nowadays, guys. Oh, I have no. I have a question. Like, Isildur is supposed to be basically uh, making stables, and but where? Doesn't look like there's horses on this boat. <laughs> but oh, you didn't see the one horse getting uh, craned in. <laughs> didn't his dad say his horse was coming uh, at one point in the episode? I mean, maybe, but just the the boats. Like it, it, it sounded to me like they were like, oh yeah, there are horses on these boats because uh, we we're cavalry. Uh, but the boat is clearly not designed. It's not a very big boat as like boats go. So that's literally what I thought. And they're not even densely packed in. I thought, so you're doing this big armada, and you've probably got about fifty people, and basically <laughs> anyone... no horses. <laughs> Did anyone notice only one life raft in the middle of the boat for all those guys? That's just dangerous. <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> I mean, the boats are beautiful, but they they don't look like big ass boats that can actually actually uh, transport like part of an army and people and and just and and rations and water and armor and whatever. I mean, it, yeah, they can transport they, uh... a lot of fuel. I feel like Mary just became the honorary Nadia because it just went very <laughs> military logistics on us. But you're right. <laughs> and also, why would you put all of the cavalry on one boat and presumably the infantry another and the archers on the third? Why wouldn't you mix everyone up so that if one of the ships goes down, you don't have a completely lopsided infantry force? Questions that need answers. To me, it's part of what I don't really like about the show is it's that it's it's okay, it's good, they're they might be doing a good job with a lot of the story and it's different and the, it's not it's not all rooted in lore but that's that's fine um but it lacks substance for some things and it lacks it, it's always weird to say that it's not realistic because <laughs> it's middle earth but it's it's not realistic in world i completely agree with you and you know, i found myself really being very emotionally engaged in this episode and really enjoying it so all of these practical objections i shared but somehow just the sight of them all finally leaving for middle earth was very moving i love the mm-hmm. song and i also there was something so moving about the whole conversation between durin and elrond like that it just feels like we're finally getting proper human stakes and proper human sort of conflicts of emotion and morality whether it's in Nori yeah. realizing what's going on in Gandalf or Elrond and Durin or whatever it is it just fe- feels like these are big decisions and they feel real like Halbrand's confusion and guilt and shame at whatever it is he did back in the Southlands and unwillingness to go back just felt very touching so I feel like it won on character if not on dialogue or military logistics and the mm. mithril thing is very much midi-chlorians though that's going to annoy me if that I'm really hoping that's a lie that um, Celebrimbor's told him to get him to shop the dwarfs, because otherwise that just feels like very poor mm. world building. Oh, that's a, yeah, but that's a good point, right? It, it might be that. Cause, I, yeah, I it think is. they just had to, they know that he's good friends with the dwarf. They know he's the one person who can do this task, but they know he's also a man of great ethics or an elf of great ethics. So yeah. what are the stakes we can give him to make him do this is to say that we need this as elves. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I agree with you. I enjoyed this as well. It's um, it's got a lot of uh, a lot of things going for it, and I'm I'm just slightly disappointed that with all of that and all of the money for for it looking so beautiful, how is it that it's not perfect? I guess if you if you can throw that much money at 
all of that just maybe a bit more to have some kind of guy who's going to be like are you sure about these boats dude i don't know they should have hired a varley damn it yeah. <laughs> exactly. like, oh, that's stupid. we should make our pitch now to be technical assistants on the next series just giving it a pass <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a danger, isn't there, sometimes with fantasy people that they kind of don't take the practical stuff seriously because they think that being in a fantasy world gives them a free pass. And in mm-hmm. a way, that's what I love about George, because in George, a lot of the mechanics of the world and the constraints of the world still make sense, despite the kind of fantasy overlay. And Tolkien's actually a little bit like that with his sort of exquisite mapping and everything. So this seems a bit weird. Um, anything else on this episode you'll want to discuss or talk about? I'm good. I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> well, given that everything's copacetic, let's uh, let's round out the episode here. Thank you to the listener for tuning in. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and it was less miserable than the, the previous one. Uh, feel free to join us on the Discord. Um, go to vokpodcast.wordpress.com to find the link or on find us on Twitter um, and you will find your directions to the chat where there is fierce debate going on. Actually, less about Rings of Power, although still some good chat going on there, but there's a lot of debate about Alicent's motives in House of the Dragon, so it's particularly active right now. With that, thank you all for joining. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I feel like I was kind of waiting for the Aru and then I was like, wrong podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't have an Aru here. (laughs) I know. We need to have a hobbity song. (laughs) (laughs) Brett, Brett, talk to me. I need to hear your voice.